new version of the podcast. Um, I'm really excited about this one. The uh, lead up to this one with all of the intelligence and um, all of the SIGINT that we've covered over the past week, just like digging into it. Um, I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, so first off, let's go over the invite. Um, some people had some problems with it. Some people didn't. Uh, the link that was encoded was a Caesar cipher. So let's go over Caesar cipher really quick. Um, of course, it's Julius Caesar. He used it during his, um, like, I guess, personal communication. Um, basically what it is, is it's just a shift in the alphabet, right? So let's say it's a, a, a three letter shift. A becomes C, right? So, you know, it's, it's the very first, um, yeah, like Simon says, the very first cipher that was used. Um, and ciphers have been around for a very, very, very long time. Uh, they used it during the Revolutionary War. They used it against the war in England. Um, you know, it's been around for a long time. So my background, I come from a SIGINT background. Uh, I did signal intelligence to start out with. And basically that's decoding messages. My specialty was intercepting voice communications and Morse code and deciphering stuff. Uh, you know, and there's several different versions of Morse code. Um, some of it is a little bit more trickier than others. So we spent the last week looking through all the different types of number stations. Um, and that's what really got me excited about this one. So, I was able to go through and find an online radio that a university in the Netherlands is hosting. And you can actually look at um, and listen to some of the AIM frequencies on the wideband. Uh, and there's a website that will actually post the schedule for number stations. So earlier I uploaded a uh, file from, I think it's E11. Uh, which is a Polish number station, um, and it's been going on for a very long time. Uh, you know, and, and what's funny is like, so we looked at the messages, um, started to decode some of it, uh, and there's a website that Mike's going to put up, uh, PRI, uh, I think, mon.org. Um, so in that same website, they also... Uh, decode some of the messages um, and give you the format as to you know what they're doing so the very first segment is they identify the uh, agent that they're talking to and then they read out a string of numbers so these numbers you know for most people if you look at it you can't really figure it out right um, but when you look at a one-time pad and I'm keeping Mike busy over here. Uh, the one-time pad, actually, uh, that's what they use to decipher the messages. Um, so the one-time pad, the agent has it on their side, and the number station has it on the other side. And so they, they formulate the messages according to the one-time pad, um, and then it's read and burn, basically. Uh, so this has been going on since, you know, the Cold War era, even before then. Um, so... There's, there's a couple things we're going to go over. Uh, the online radio, if you get a chance, look at that. Uh, it's the second link up that Mike posted. Uh, 
Um, and the very last link that you posted will give you the schedule. Um, so you have several different modes of transmission on AM. Uh, you have Morse, uh, which was what the link was encoded in. Um, and then you have USB, which is upper sideband, LSB, which is lower sideband, and SSTV, which is really cool. Um, so it's uh, slow scan TV. And slow scan TV, you can take an image. Uh, the ISS satellite or the ISS station has um, satellite communications, and they will actually look through and grab JPEGs and, and take photos and they'll send that back to earth via slow scan. Um, in here. So, you know, if you're a radio operator or if you have access to a radio, you can actually grab that, that communication on SSTV and decode it and you'll actually have a photo, right? So th there's some other things I'm gonna talk about later on that are, that are really cool as far as exfiltration. So a lot of us work in security and pen testing and other types of um, cybersecurity. So when you go to do a pen test, exfiltration through the network is sometimes difficult, right? So you have to worry about you know, the IDS or dark trace or, or whatever platform grabbing your exfiltration and outing you during the pen test. But one thing that most companies don't have is something to monitor RF, right? So RF, um, you can actually take coded messages and send it out through RF. Um, you have the slow scan TV. Plus we're working on, um, I'm actually getting the chips in the mail this week from a friend of mine named James. Um, that's part of a, a large intelligence company, but it is an FM transmitter. FM AM transmitter uh, for an Arduino. And for those of you who don't know what an Arduino is, is like Raspberry Pi, um, just, just a different flavor. Uh, so basically this chip, we can exfiltrate data uh, that we've collected during a pen test or intelligence and siphon it out through FM or AM and collect it on the other side. I've got a lot of people joining. Uh, so it's really cool and it, and it bypasses all of the known controls for modern day cybersecurity. There's a reason why number stations and RF has been around for a very long time. It's very hard to control as far as um, transmissions go. So one of, the, one of the transmissions I wanna talk about that some of you guys in the UK probably have heard about is a Lincolnshire poacher. I'll have Mike post the uh, link for that. Uh, basically, what it was was the Lincolnshire Poacher, there, there's, there's like a tune to it, right? And it's a series of, you know, it sounds like a flute almost, and then it goes into a number station. For the longest time, everybody thought after World War II, that was actually the UK transmitting that signal to their agents, when in reality, it ended up being a ship in Cyprus that was transmitting it. Uh, so, I mean... There's a lot of obfuscation around it. Um, and now they've even got to the point where people are um, DXing, which is like long distance uh, grabbing signals. Um, I'm part of a group that, that does that currently. And they've collected stuff on um, Cipernet, Nippernet. Uh, they've collected stuff on Urgent Link, 
Urgent Link is what um, they use for emergency communications now. So FEMA has moved away from their old platform and moved to Urgent Link. I don't think we have a link for that. Uh, but anyways, um, the DX groups actually focus on collecting those signals. They can identify the ships, they can identify the signals, um, and even to the point sometimes where they can identify the format of the message. And so that's what I'm getting into, um, especially like with CW, which is Morse code, um, looking at some of those messages and trying to decipher them. Uh, there's one that's really cool that has been around forever. It disappeared a couple times, uh, but the theory behind it is if this signal stops, the world's in trouble. And it's called the Russian buzzer. Uh, and it's just, it's a placeholder for the Russian military and it just buzzes constantly. Uh, and every once in a while they'll break in with uh, a series of numbers to different Russian agents. Um, so people have been following it for, for many, many years. Uh, so if you guys have any questions, feel free to stop me and we'll talk through it. Uh, if you have anything you want me to cover that, that I'm not covering, speak up. You know, I'm only one person. Um, so let's go over one-time pads. Um, I'll have Mike post the one-time pad link. Uh, so one-time pads. So every agent, um, and, and there's, there's a really cool movie called the number station, uh, with John Cusack. And in this movie, he plays an agent and he controls a, a reader or a cryptologist, which is what I was in the military, um, that reads off the numbers and they use a one-time pad to, um, decipher the message and then they burn it. Um, so with a one-time pad, basically what it is, it's a series of numbers that matches up with letters of the alphabet. Uh, it's only good for one time. Um, each sheet is only good for one message. Uh, and usually what it starts out with, like I said before, is um, the agent that is receiving the message, they'll go through a series of numbers in the very beginning of the message. And I'll post one of these messages so that you guys can, can get a feel for it. Uh, but they'll identify the agent with the first three numbers. And if it's a null message, it'll be the same pattern over and over again. But if there's like a legit instruction that for that agent or officer, then they'll list the numbers. Um, and I'll go ahead and, and post one of those right now. Uh, and these also like the link that was posted earlier with the online AM radio or wideband radio, is where I collected these signals. So these are, these are real live uh, recordings from number stations that are active on radio frequencies, like as we speak. Uh, so I had a lot of fun doing this one. Um, I looked at some Morse code. Um, I got involved with some groups that I probably wouldn't normally get involved with. Um, and looking at like the history uh, behind it all, it was like really cool. I think me and Mike stayed up for, for hours just listening to AM broadcast and, and trying to scan through the stations. Um, yeah, and you can, yeah. you can actually yeah. build your own number station as well. They have, um, uh, so you can transmit over the internet. I wouldn't suggest you do it over AM 
because the FCC may try to hunt you down. Uh, but there's, I mean, you can host your own website, do your own number station, have your own one-time pad. Um, and they also have, uh, as, as most of you guys saw, who decoded the Morse code, um, they have text to Morse code audio. So you can record the Morse code, post it on a website or stream it uh, from a specific IP, maybe a Tor IP, um, to whoever you want to. And that message is obfuscated uh, unless they have that one-time pad. And you can create your own one-time pads. So on um, linuxcoffee.com slash numbers, um, you can actually create your own one-time pads, which is really cool. Um, I took a look at that yesterday. I haven't done it yet, uh, but you know, it's really cool. So there's all kinds of methods as far as um, wanting to, wait a minute, I missed the last meeting, Mike. I wanted to ask you if you have ever crossed paths with the maze who recently confirmed that they stopped their service or maybe can share us, share with us what you know about them, if you don't mind. Um, actually, AK, I can't, uh, simply because of the fact that the maze um, has kind of a legal situation. So I won't comment on that. I'll let, their, I'll let them fend for themselves. Uh, Justice, you know, I'm trying really hard to listen to what you're saying. Would it be possible to bring the white noise down a wee? Uh, I don't know how to do the white noise. Um, let me move the microphone a little bit closer. So <clears throat> back to what I was saying. There's several ways that you can exfiltrate data out of networks. Uh, you have like command and control infrastructure, you have IRC, you have SSH, you have, you know, RF that most people don't use. Uh, but one of the other ones that you don't have is DNS. And I don't know if you guys know about um, the DNS exfiltration of data, uh, but that is one of the... Um, projects that I did a couple years ago with the company I was working for to look and see if Darktrace, which is an AI ML platform, uh, could detect the exfiltration of data via DNS queries. Um, and we'll post a, a link to that. That should be up there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool. So it, like if you have Wireshark and you're collecting, let's say port 53 traffic, externally, and I'm sending this message out um, to your IP address, I can encode secret messages or any kind of data that I want into that, into that packet, into the DNS queries. Um, another really, really cool obfuscation method um, that I was working on when I developed VAST, the distro, uh, was exfiltrating data through voice over IP packets. So voice over IP packets are, are pretty unique in the fact that they have a lot of extra space in the packet. Um, so we actually chunked a database into several different chunks and shoved them out through voice over AP packets. The only thing you have to remember when you do that is when you do that, the person on the other end has to know it's coming and has to know how to decode it. Uh, if not, the message gets pretty lost. Um, so pirate radio, 
uh, is one of the things that, so if you got onto AM tonight and decided you want to create a number station, it would be considered a pirate radio, which is illegal. Uh, governments get away with it. Um, listening stations don't have a problem with it. Uh, but you and I, the FCC may come knock on your door, especially if you have like an amateur radio license, uh, they may. Um, but we found all kinds of really cool ways to um, get messages, listen to broadcast. Uh, one of them was the RTL SDR. I was going to show that tonight, but it's actually boxed up and put on the patio because the antenna that um, RTLSDR.com sent me uh, didn't have the SMA connectors for the antenna. So I'm getting that replaced. Um, but in order to hit the medium frequencies, which is where the number stations are at, you have to have um, the Hammett Up um, module that kind of up converts um, the signal. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of things that go into radio, like signal propagation, uh, frequency, amplification, PRI, PRF, uh, a lot that I can't really like dive into um, because it took me years to learn. Um, it's not something that you can just learn overnight. Um, but with the online broadcast, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the possibilities are limitless. Like there's so much out there. Like today I found a, like a rogue um, Morse code uh, station. So with that, with that website, um, that, that has an AM like wideband uh, broadcast, they have it labeled, right? So where uh, they have like, like China, some of the ships for the US Navy, for the Russian Navy, for various you know, maritime, they have them labeled um, on different frequencies. But sometimes you'll find like a random Morse code pop up in between the frequencies. Uh, so I, I collect all of that data and the future, I really want to work on decoding some of that and looking at the, the format of those different messages. Um, Cuba is one good one. So in the U S if, if you live in uh, the U S on the Gulf coast, Cuba has a number station that plays continuously. Um, it's on a schedule and you can catch that schedule on, on the link that we posted uh, previously. Uh, the PRIYOM.org or whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm like really excited about radio. Um, I've been doing radio since about 2003. I was stationed in Virginia at the, at the Joint Forces Intelligence Command. Um, and I was guarding the American Taliban at the brig and um, had plenty of time to study. So I got the uh, technician manual for ham radio and studied that one weekend and took the test, got my license. Uh, and since then I've been running wild with it. Uh, my dad was also, um, he's also licensed for ham radio and my grandfather as well. Uh, so, I mean, when disaster hits, you know, 9-11, I, I talked about this on the last podcast, when 9-11 hit, uh, cell phone usage uh, was pretty much null and void in New York because the circuits were overloaded. Um, and the towers. So ham radio operators had to step in and set up emergency, emergency communications uh, for people that needed messages getting out of New York. Um, 
so it comes in really useful. Uh, we live on about 27 acres in the middle of nowhere and going to be building an antenna for um, RF uh, so that we can do some of this long distance um, collection of data. Uh, so I'm gonna open it up to you guys. You guys ask me questions. Um, if there's anything that, that you want to hear me dive into as far as RF, radio, number stations, go for it, it's your chance. And you can unmute, please unmute. Everybody's unmuting. Um, so I'll keep talking while you guys come up with your questions. Stop me whenever you want to. Uh, so what exactly did you start with when you got interested in RFs? So funny thing is when I originally got started with RF, I was a kid um, and I had an electronics kit that my parents had decided to buy for me. Um, and I developed a RF kit that you plug into the phone. Back then we had landlines um, and you could take apart the phone and there's two wires inside the phone. It's two pair. And the RF kit that I built plugged into those uh, like alligator clamped into those two, those two uh, copper wires. So whatever transmission was going through that phone, you could sit out in a parking lot and tune to a specific frequency and listen to the conversation. So it was basically a phone tap. Um, it's not a whole lot of that now, although with SDR, with the RTL SDR, you can actually collect GSM. Um, Hack5 has a video on this and I thought it was really cool. So you can't actually collect like the voice data or the actual text message, but the headers have a lot to do with um, the information, right? So it'll give you the phone number um, that's originating from the carrier and the recipient. Uh, and really that's, that's all you really need to know um, as far as like identifying who they're communicating with. Uh, but there's also ways to actually get that, that audio. I can't really go into that because it's against the law, but um, yeah, you can do that as well. That? Yeah, old school wiretapping. Um, yeah, and just to let you guys know, our our wireless or our uh, internet or Wi-Fi is pretty spotty because we live on top of a mountain. And uh, to put things in perspective, we have LTE instead of fiber or cable. So you have to bear with us. Alan Turn machine was based on RF. Absolutely. And actually, Alan, Alan Turn, um, if you read the book, Cryptonomicon, um, is about Alan Turn. And uh, Bletchley Park, I believe is the name of it, um, over in uh, the UK. Uh, but yeah, it was based on RF. Um, so some of the other things that got me interested in RF was RF jamming, uh, cell phone jamming, 
Um, when I worked at USGFCOM and the Joint Force Intelligence Command, uh, we had white noise playing in the hallways. We had music playing. Um, basically, the whole building was a Faraday cage. And that really is the only way to obfuscate, you know, eavesdropping when it comes to RF. Uh, we had to lock our cell phones up uh, in the lobby in basically a, a safe that was Faraday cage. Um, so you can, you can understand the level of security there. But when you look at businesses and, and commercial entities, that doesn't happen. Um, so, so there's all kinds of opportunities to exfiltrate data. And what we've gotten to now, like with IP and voice over IP and, and machine learning and AI, is we've locked down the ether side of it. But what about the old RF school stuff that, that nobody seems to care about anymore? Like with the RTL SDR, I can actually look at what you're looking at on your screen just based off the emission from your monitor. Um, so every, every electronic device that you plug in that has to go into a wall socket gives off some sort of RF or RF signature. Uh, so my job in the military was, uh, let me back up, the training that I went through to get to where I was in the military um, I, we had a lab, uh, we went through 14 weeks of advanced, uh, math and, and cryptology. And then, um, one of the tests that we had to go through before we graduated was we were sitting in a lab with oscilloscopes and spectrum analyzers. And we were given a very, uh, I don't want to say faint signal, but it was very hard to determine what the signal was. Um, and we had chiefs and petty officers behind us screaming at us while we were trying to analyze the signal to figure out what it was. Um, it was actually a weapon, uh, more specific, like a missile. And we had to determine velocity, speed, point of impact, and ETA. Uh, so the joke in the Navy was, if you see the CT swim team running to the flight deck, you might want to follow them uh, because usually we know when the missiles are coming and the rest of the ship doesn't. Um, what type of bulb? I know there are several types of devices that are used for eavesdropping. Cool. Yeah. So um, after we went through the training, uh, the joint force intelligence command has different DIs. Uh, I worked in DI five and DI six. Uh, I worked for the J6, um, and we did all kinds of stuff. We looked for uh, the down pilot, Michael Stryker, um, during the Gulf War. Uh, we analyzed signals. We listened to conversations. Uh, NavSec grew at different ports, especially in Virginia. We'll listen to um, radio traffic from incoming vessels, uh, whether it be... Russian freighters or, you know, just regular maritime traffic uh, looking for um, encrypted messages or things of interest. Uh, and the NSA actually records most of that uh, communication. Um, I know they say that they only record foreign nationals calling into the U.S., but uh, I think Snowden pretty much pointed that out. That it's, that's not the truth. Um, and I can verify that. Um, 
so what else that has to be in clear view waves frequency bounce off glass and you and you can waves drop or the eavesdrop from long distance as long as it, as it so line of sight right so what what sam is talking about is line of sight and that works with most hf uh, and the antennas that we use for that type of stuff is Yagi antennas, right? So as long as you have line of sight to that signal with a directional antenna, um, you can pretty much pick it up. Where you get a, a little bit more difficult is when, so line of sight works with direct communication, uh, usually AM, FM, uh, UHF. But where it gets a little difficult is when you're using a sideband. Uh, sidebands don't work that way um, and it scatters so you have to use different types of antennas for that um, the a a a r l has an antenna book uh, to kind of guide you through building antennas what wavelengths um, most popular for uh, ham radio uh, is dipole antennas um, which is a lead coming off of the radio and then going up and splitting off into two different, uh, I call them arrays, but they're just two different leads. And you can do it with coax. Um, and there's like endless amounts of instructions on how to build dipole antennas on the internet. Uh, there's no need to go out and buy like a $40 kit off of Amazon. You can basically take some uh, cable TV coax and build it yourself. Oh yeah, so um, Mike pointed out exfiltrating data from air gap computers using screen brightness. Uh, so what I was talking about earlier um, using RF, so monitors give out an emission just like every other piece of electronic equipment. Um, and with the right SDR, uh, and if you know the right frequency, you can actually catch that image from those machines and grab that data whatever's on the screen, um, whether it be email or, or whatever. Uh, but really, I mean, like, so when voice really started getting big, uh, and this, is, this, this goes back to like the beginning of the Cold War. So um, the State Department got a big, huge um, wall mount, like, what was it, like a, was it a clock or was it a seal? It was like a seal, right? It was a seal of the United States. It was yeah. a gift as a president, or to the president, rather. Um, yeah. Yeah. A little kid, so, here, Mr. President. Yeah, so, so the seal of the U.S. Uh, had in the back of it um, a microphone, and it would transmit. The, it was an analog microphone. Yeah, analog. Yeah. So it, it was really cool, um, and that was, that was like a big story. And there's a museum. So I was born in D.C., and not far from where I was born. I was actually born at Fort Meade. Um, so I was kind of born into the intelligence spy community. Um, and there's a, a museum there called the International Spy Museum. Uh, it's really cool. So when you go into the museum, um, you pick your identity and you have to learn everything about this person as you go through the museum and see all these different displays. And then at the end, you're quizzed as if, you know, someone from Russia is like interrogating you and you have to remember everything that, that you learned from the very beginning 
uh, about your persona or your profile or your dossier uh, to get past the end. That's really cool. Um, does the development of IoT and voice activation present a risk on RF level? Yes. So IoT relies heavily on RF transmission. Um, some of the pumps in the field, I know, we, I, know I talked about this in my, in my last podcast, the IoT devices uh, actually use RF propagation uh, to certain controllers. So if you know RF, uh, you can grab that data. The data may be kind of, um, how do I say this? Like non-readable unless you, you know the pump it's coming from uh, and able to decipher, decipher it. But the cool thing about RF from IoT is I can use an RF jammer and shut down that communication from that pump as, as if it doesn't exist. Sorry, y'all. I'm muted, reserving video to save bandwidth. We really are in third world country. Yeah. Okay. So have a look at this IoT perspective. Can you pull that up? So I'll go over like the rules of um, intelligence gathering. So when I first got to intelligence school, one of the one of the classes was in the very beginning. It was very basic, and I thought it was, I thought actually thought it was a joke. Uh, but they sat us all down, and they said, um, "You're not allowed to go to bars. Uh, you're not allowed to take the same route home. You need to mix you know mix up your your routes as you go you know through the week. Don't ever take don't don't ever be predictable basically, and." if you do end up at a bar somewhere, never accept a drink from any female. <laughs> so they, they, uh, they like to do that, um, especially, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but it was about, it was about 10 years ago, there was a Russian spy ring. They got busted up in uh, the East Coast. I, I wanna say it was New Jersey, um, but one of the spies was like supermodel level uh, and she was very successful at what she did. Um, we ended up trading uh, some people or some sort of ransom. Yeah, Anna Chapman. I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name because that's English that's writing. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, so yeah, so she single-handedly like took down a lot of uh, agents in the U.S. and ended up getting kicked out. Um, does your tattoos involve some info? that needs to be decoded like the one in prison break blind spot, or is it just straightforward one? So, okay, let's see. One, two. So there's three tattoos that um, have a hidden meaning. Um, one of them's a QR code, one of them's binary, and the other one's hex. The hex is on my hand, the QR code's on my wrist, and the binary is a bracelet that goes around my wrist. Uh, and they do have a meaning and the QR code used to be uh, scannable, but as time goes by and tattoos and, and things kind of fade, they're harder to read. Uh, but yeah, they, they did have a distinct meaning. Um, so some of the other stuff too, um, I'm going to, I'm thinking about creating a website strictly for intelligence gathering in the OSINT uh, if any of you guys are interested in OSINT 
in RF, in number stations, uh, international intelligence gathering, let me know uh, so that we can join together and, and kind of develop this together. We have, so far on my laptop, I think I have like 20 recordings of number stations. Um, I'm going to go ahead right now and upload maybe another one that you guys can listen to. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can find a good CW one. Here you go. So this is a Morse code um, recording that I took today. I believe it's today. Uh, of one of the stations that randomly popped up. Uh, somewhere in between the Chinese maritime frequencies. Uh, so, I mean, there's some really interesting stuff out there. I do have a link. I don't have it available right now, but I will give it to you upon request of a guy in Europe that gave me every internet-based wideband online radio available. Uh, so you can listen from different stations around the world, whether it be Thailand or Vietnam or Australia. Uh, it, it spans the entire globe. So there's no, there's no RF or no uh, frequency that, that we can't monitor from here, which makes it really cool because so before the, the dawn of like internet-based radio or, or IRLP, um, you had to actually have a base station or an HT, which is a handheld, um, to listen to different frequencies or scanners. Uh, I, I don't like scanners or CBs, but um, you know they, they do serve their purpose. Uh, but now with the with the internet and with so many people involved in RF, there's online radios that you can access for free, and they run twenty four seven, and it's funny because there's a, there's a whole community of people that do nothing but listen for odd transmissions or number stations or military transmissions. Uh, so it's, it's all out there. Is RF energy, is RF energy from Wi-Fi any use? I'm not really sure I understand that question. Um, so RF is different. It's electronic emission. Uh, so it, you have UHF, VHF, MF, um, and then you have the gigahertz, right? So most of the number stations reside in like somewhere between a thousand, a thousand kilohertz to like, um, I want to say like 5,000 kilohertz, um, but Wi-Fi is going to be your 2.4 gigahertz. So that's, I mean, it's a completely different spectrum. Um, if you look up uh, radio frequency spectrums, it'll break down uh, and, and it can get confusing if, if you're new to RF, uh, the different bands and privileges for each band. Air, A, ARL um, has a map or kind of like a diagram of the amateur radio frequencies. And it pretty much covers the spectrum as to where amateurs can transmit legally, depending on your level of certification. So I have a general, um, a general ticket. So that, that kind of opens up most frequencies to me. 
and most methods of transmission, whether it be slow scan TV or data or RTTY or Morse code. Um, but there are other frequencies, very few that the extra ticket gives you access to. Uh, kind of tossed around the idea of, of getting that um, ticket, but right now I'm just having fun with, with the AM band and wideband radio shortwave. Uh, and you can buy shortwave radios online for what, my, but like a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks or less, yeah. Yeah, and really so good ones for about hundred and fifty, but but for everyday use, eight yeah. bucks. Yeah, so I mean, like you can buy one of those online, and they come with an antenna, uh, but they also have the capability of uh, building your own antenna. Uh, and then you go into like if you want to spend more money and reach further. You can actually get like a base station uh, that's uh, shortwave. Uh, a lot of military um, carry shortwave radios. Uh, we call them KIVs in the Navy. Um, but those are the guys that have the heavy backpacks with the huge antennas. And usually the first one's targeted during, you know, combat. Have you ever deciphered any message being transmitted or come across a key to decipher them? So no, the funny thing about these messages are, like I said before, um, they use an encryption method, like one time pad. Unless you know what pad they're using or what um, cipher key they're using, it's pretty much impossible. But you can kind of decipher the format uh, so null messages have um, pretty much the same characters repeated over and over again. Um, like, so one of the ones that we decoded uh, from Poland, a female voice from Poland, um, she identified the operator, let's say uh, operator or agent 925 and an oblique zero zero, which means null message, right? So they had no message for that agent that day. Now, if, and the oblique is the slash. So if she would have came on and said um, 926 oblique and then rattled off, you know, a couple sets of numbers, then there would be an actual message there that would correspond with a one-time pad. Uh, I've come across a few channels on the Dutch radio that when I looked up the frequencies, they came back as faxes. I've not checked to see if there's something that can be... Yes, so Lucas, um, those, those faxes, if you can collect that, that traffic and they're transmitting images, I can possibly get the images out of that packet capture. Um, so that, that, that goes into a whole other realm uh, of like steganography. So some of those images have hidden messages. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of data in some of those. Uh, and also what I ran into, and I'll have to post this once, once we get off of here. Um, I was waiting for a number station to come on and it was from China. And before, right before the number station came on, um, there was like lower sideband, upper sideband, like the screen went crazy uh, with like red, yellow, and white, um, which is basically the signal. So they, they flooded uh, the frequency with, all these different types of communications to hide the one specific type of communication you're trying to get through. Uh, so that takes a little bit more advanced level of expertise to 
uh, get past those filters and get down to the message. How is key exchange handled for one-time pass? Uh, so the one-time pad, they use, like you can create your own one-time pad. Um, and the link that we set up uh, that we posted earlier, the Linux coffee, uh, dot com forward slash numbers um, basically gives you uh, a type of application where you can create your own one-time pad. And so let's say you and, and an agent that works for you or works with you, um, you can print those one-time pads out and distribute them. Uh, I mean, you, you can come up with your own uh, Caesar cipher as well. Uh, there's all different types of methods. There's not one specific type of OTP. Um, pretty much every agency and every uh, number station creates their own. And usually they're like burn after read. Um, so once you get the message, you know, and you decipher it, those pads are burnt. Um, which is the most strongest cipher that you've come across? It's been year still used, or is it a good method to even use that? So, I mean, it's a decent method, but, you know, looking at RF and, and, and looking at the current, I guess, technology level, there's so many different ways to get covert comms out, whether it be through PGP or um, even a number station online or stego or i mean there's all kinds of methods so i i'm kind of interested in rf simply because of the fact that you know i'm part of a red team and and when you go in to do a tabletop exercise you know let's say they have like really advanced ips's um machine learning ai platforms it's going to be hard to exfiltrate data out of those networks uh, given the current technology but all I need is my phone and some RF and I can get that message out. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going with this. You know, I, I think that, you know, as, as an industry, we've gotten so far as far as technology goes and as far as uh, alerting and, and signatures of things that are passed on the wire. And we focus so heavily on the wire and with Wi-Fi, which is very high, you know, HF. But I haven't seen a company yet that looks and is concerned about RF, unless you're military. Um, no large corporations use RF detectors, as far as I, as far as I know. Um, because if they did, you would have to work in a Faraday cage, basically, to protect that. And those guys all, yeah, they have those in place, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing at major corporations. Yeah. Maybe the financial sector, but I haven't seen it. No, they don't have it. Um, pattern image analysis skills are useful in sniffing out hidden useful information inside of other transmissions. Mike and I regularly see the waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. So the waterfalls, um, if you go to that website from the Netherlands and listen to some of that communication, um, you'll get to, you'll be able to identify after looking at patterns from the waterfall, what type of traffic it is. So Morse code has a distinct waterfall where it's dots and dashes. Um, upper sideband kind of looks like, um, it's hard to explain, um, kind of stacked 
uh, blips. Um, and then of course, AM is kind of a, a wide, broad, um, back and forth uh, kind of lines. Um, but you, once you start listening to it on a regular basis, you, you'll start to pick up those patterns. And so in the military, one of the things that I did was I got used to looking at PRI and pre-RF. So if I saw the PRI, I could almost tell you what type of weapon system it was or what type of weapon it was. So part of my job was I was a NATO emitters database manager for all of the Atlantic fleet. Um, so I could take a look at an emission and determine if it was NATO or not and log that into the database and work with NSA on, on categorizing that stuff. Um, what can be done about that though, beyond recommending a Faraday cage at the office? Absolutely nothing. Um, and that's, what's cool about it. And that's why, um, I'm going to start developing more tools for this. So like I said, my friend James, um, he's part of an intelligence company and he's sending me two chips this week that um, go onto Arduino for transmitting data over frequencies. Uh, so I plan on working with him and, and with Mike and, and developing um, a tool for this and writing a paper. Uh, I'll probably get shut down pretty quick, but it'll be really cool. Um, let's see. Yeah, Chris has a really good uh, signal identification guide. Thanks. Um, so there, there's a lot of equipment that goes into play. Like if you want to build your own listening station or listening posts, like uh, they have in Bavaria, like Stuttgart has a really good one. Minworth Hill um, in the UK has a really good listening post. Uh, there's a lot of equipment that goes into that. Uh, multiple types of antennas, golf balls, uh, arrays, yogis. Um, and then you have like the oscilloscope spectrum analyzer base stations and other classified appliances that go into it. Uh, but that's the really hardcore like defense level um, listing post. Uh, but you can create your own just based off of, you know, you can do it with a Raspberry Pi and an RTL SDR, which is a US, it's USB plugs in, you got your hammer up, which gives you access to frequencies from a hundred Hertz to, I want to say 10 megs. Um, don't quote me on that, but I know it's as low as 100, 100 kilohertz. Uh, and most of your transmissions for um, number stations are going to be like 4,000 kilohertz. Uh, so what else? What else do you guys want to, you have any, any more questions or does anybody want to speak up? You can take yourself off mute. So there's a lot of resources out there um, from AARL and other sources and just tons of websites where a lot of the good old school radio operators, all they want to do is share. So just, you know, use your Google Foo and and go for it and whatever you're thinking of or whatever you think you might want to do, if you think it's something different or if it's something you've heard about, just Google it. You'll find it. Um, a lot of these old guys, a lot of the spectrum that I listen to is I call it the old farts round table jokingly, but it's a lot of old guys DXing around the world, just talking about what's going on, 
around them, what's going on with politics, what's going on with, oh, hey, I just upgraded my antenna box and my St. Bernard just pissed all over the end of it. And yeah, I got to redo some stuff. It's just, it's, it's, some of it's inane and stupid and some of it's interesting and it's, it's going to run, I'd hate to say it, the full spectrum, but yeah, it's good. It's, it's out there. Um, I just, and just from stepping through the spectrum, seeing the signals, seeing the waterfall and listening in, tuning in, I, yeah, I start finding little things. Um, an Irish broadcast about how they're starting to lock down things. Um, I can't remember the other country, but they were talking about the U.S. elections. And then, you know, then keep scrolling. And I find my old farts roundtable of these three old guys from the East Coast that are talking about everything from the weather to hold on. I got to run to my truck and grab something. And then, oh, yeah, I built this new 40, uh, what is it, uh, 40 meter beam. That I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm loving it, whatever. And so it's, it's out there. And if you're interested and in, in have any kind of inclination, start Googling it and then start, you know, asking around because, you know, just like Mike and I giving this stuff up, it's, uh, there's a lot of other guys out there that are way more knowledgeable than me, but they've done it. They've been there and they're not afraid to share. So yeah, just check it out. So Kristen had a question. Could you speak about overall workflow you follow or tools you use to analyze some of the data collected? So it depends on the type of transmission. So if it's AM, uh, it's usually voice, um, and that's pretty easy to write down and follow. Um, I record the numbers that are, that are read out in what sequence um, to learn the format and any variations of the format. Uh, and who it comes from. Sometimes the language is a little confusing. Uh, like recently, the we had somebody uh, from Russia that had a really bad American accent. Uh, so it was, it was really hard to figure out exactly what they were saying. Plus, with um, the squelch and some of the background noise, it was really hard to decipher. Um, so we, we tossed that around for a while back and forth between people to get it deciphered and I was able to get it deciphered. Um, now, if it's Morse code, uh, with some of these websites, you can actually record the Morse code and you can do it on your, on your own machine as well. Like if you're using like a, a base station, you can plug it into Audacity, record the, the Morse code. Um, and there's several different websites that will take an audio file recorded, um, upload it, play it, and it will decipher the Morse code. Now, one thing you have to understand is when you're taking recording of Morse code, um, they're using a one-time pad to type out some of these messages. There, there's only a few instances where I've seen uh, clear text Morse code. Um, and usually that's between like maritime, like cargo ships. But if it's, if it's a number station, one thing you have to realize is they've been doing this for, for such a long time, uh, World War II, basically, that they had gotten to an advanced stage where they make it very, very difficult to understand what they're talking about, unless you can find that agent. Now they've, they've kind of tracked some of these number stations and the people that read the messages. Um, we're able to tell which, which ones are read live, which ones are recordings, uh, you know, the format of the message based on uh, previous messages, um, time of day. I mean, they've got it down to a schedule. So what's really cool is like looking at the, the one website, PRIYOM.org. Uh, 
and it will tell you next station is live in 15 minutes. Uh, so I set my, my online uh, shortwave radio to that frequency and just get ready to record. So I record the frequency, I record the waterfall, take a snapshot of the waterfall to, so that I have an image of that signal identification. Um, and then like E11 is Poland, it's the number station of Poland. So I create a folder with just E11 um, messages. So one thing I found interesting is that, that some of these guys have been doing this for a very long time, like PRIOM.org. Um, that the, that post a schedule and the frequencies to look for aren't always spot on. Um, so just a couple of days ago, they predicted that um, according to the schedule that E11 from Poland was supposed to be transmitting at this frequency at this time. Well, they recorded at that frequency and there was a separate message that went over to another frequency just right after that. Uh, so really, you just have to scan the bands and, and, and look, for those, look for those signals. Sometimes they're very faint, and y you'll learn the nuances to the online wideband radios. Um, you're able to narrow um, the frequency um, and switch from different modes like USB, LSB, CW. Uh, so when you, when, when you get to a point where you've seen so many signals that you're able to identify what type of signal it is, it's pretty quick. Um, you know, the, the first time finding that website and looking at the first number station, I think that first night we got like four or five recordings right off the bat. Um, but it's really interesting, you know, and, and it, it makes, it takes me back to the times when, you know, you had the wind talkers. Uh, you had people during World War II, you had um, you know, the whole story behind Cryptonomicon. Um, and it's really cool because my grandfather was in World War II and, and it kind of like gives me that, that connection. Um, you just mentioned other more knowledgeable people. Would you mind sharing any you know? Justice, so I will post here in a second um, the DXers forum you have to be vetted and they have to let you in uh, because some of the information that they collect is on uh, military ships, movement, nipper, sipper, you name it. They, they collect all of it and they're able to identify ships, right? They're able to identify locations. Um, so there's a vetting process that goes behind that, uh, but you can try it. Uh, I got, vetted for that forum the other night um, after talking to one of the guys, uh, he's French Canadian. We have the same background. We actually worked at one of the same set crews. Uh, he was working for Canadian. So a little bit of background too, is that I never worked with strictly military, US military. Um, I was always part of a joint um, function, uh, whether it be, you know, Middle East or Eastern Bloc or whatever. What else do we have? Anybody want to speak up and give their, their experience? Is there any, is there, are there any operators as far as like radio operators online with us right now that, that want to identify themselves with a call sign? I can't be the only one. I mean, this is a room of techie people. I can't be the only radio geek. 
So my call sign out of Virginia, and yes, it's out of Langley, Virginia, by the way, KG4ZFX. So they keep a, a pretty tight database of people who have um, operator license. Uh, so let me put that in the, in the main chat room in case you're DXing and, and you want to find me. So, and, and Mike and I are actually building out uh, a shack. I've been looking at different uh, antenna structures and, and what I really want to focus on is DXing to Eastern Europe, um, getting some of that, that signal for various purposes uh, and also Cuba and some of the other pink, maybe, maybe red states. I don't know. Um, different kind, kind of red. Yeah, yeah, different category. Um, so what else do we have? I know you guys have a plethora of questions. Assuming you don't TX, any general legal issues with RX? So with receiving transmissions, if you're able to grab the signal, there is nothing illegal about deciphering those signals. Transmitting? Different. So we talked about this on the last podcast. Um, we ordered some um, amateur radios from Baofeng, and they were able to transmit on EMS frequencies. Highly illegal, but China doesn't follow the same frequency rules that we do. Um, so th there is a, an issue with that. But as far as receiving, no. And what's really cool with... RTL SDR is that your key fobs for your car, um, some electronic locks, basically everything that you use that gives off a RF signal can be grabbed and replayed by the RTL SDR. Uh, you need to look up Hack5 on YouTube, uh, search Hack5 RTL SDR, and they will show you how to record um, a key fob unlocking a car and replaying it, as well as a doorbell, a ring doorbell. It was ring, right? I think it was ring. Yeah, it was ring. I think it was ring. Um, he had a ring doorbell and they recorded it with RTL SDR, replayed it, and his doorbell wouldn't stop ringing. It was really cool. Um, you need the Hack RF or Yardstick one to transmit though. Actually, no. Um, with RTL SDR, you can only receive, but with the ham it up, if you connect it to other devices, you can transmit. Um, spun RTL SDR and antenna kit, I blame you. Well, I'll take that blame completely and you'll completely enjoy it. But make sure when you get the RTL SDR that the dipole antenna base has the two um, male SMA connectors connected to the ends of it because mine didn't. And so I had to shove the uh, antennas, the telescoping antennas into the side of the dipole base in order to get um, reception, which I did. I was able to transmit on uh, ham radio frequencies, some other frequencies we won't mention, <laughs> and collect AM. So it was really cool. But Another thing you have to be careful too, JJ, is when you plug in RTL SDR and you're, you're using it for extended amounts of time, it gets really hot. 
so maybe have a fan, a USB fan on that RTL SDR or else you're going to burn it up. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much with anything that you're, you're transmitting on. Receiving, you can receive all day long, but once you start pumping from there, it, yeah, it, it's, uh, imagine like your computer and the, the CPU, you can, you can search all day long, but once you start actually start using processor power to do anything else besides just receiving like web pages, images, things like that. Yeah. You're going to start generating heat. So yeah, with radios, especially it's, it's a lot of heat generated. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, different cases and things out there. Now there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of preppers and there's a lot of weird guys and you know, whoever with mods where you can take a certain case and you can build uh, you can put a small power supply in there. You can put a USB fan. You can do all kinds of things where all it's doing is evacuating heat or it's bringing fresh air in. I usually like to evacuate heat more using heat sinks and everything like that. I don't like to bring things in. It's always a bad idea, but yeah, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of modders out there that are doing nothing but, creating workarounds for everyday small problems like the simplest USB plug-in SDR. I mean, it's, 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 there's a lot of cool stuff out there. So yeah, that's why I say, you know, use your Google foo and, and use your resources and whatever you can think or dream up. Somebody may have already done it. It happens to me a lot. I'm not a billionaire because there's already a billion other people who have my $1 idea. So there you go. So let's let's go over dead drops really quick. Uh, Mike, can you Google dead drop? So one of the, the things that I like to do um, that's been around for a long time, we used it in anonymous was dead drops. Uh, so in tradecraft for spy agencies, they use uh, dead drops. Um, Robert Hansen got busted uh, dropping off stuff at a dead drop in a park in DC. Um, but what we used in uh, anonymous was USB dead drops that were concreted into the side of buildings. Um, and you would plug a computer in, get the information and move on. Um, and that's the same with, with any spy agency. Uh, there's always some sort of dead drop for either documentation or electronic devices. Um, so, and you can Google that as well. There's, there's tons of information about dead drops. I just posted a, another recording from Russia that I took, uh, I guess it was like two days ago on uh, the wideband radio. Um, and it's, I mean, there's so much information out there. If you take the RTL SDR and pop it up and just run it in your home, you would be amazed at the amount of RF signals that just float around you constantly. Uh, and depending on the ionosphere conditions, um, as far as like weather goes and, and humidity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you have really great ionosphere conditions, you can actually pick up, you know, audio on AM on your radio from overseas. Um, yeah, you know, that's just one of the things I like to do is look at. So one of the things I had to learn was the different types, different levels of the atmosphere in intelligence school. We had to learn about um, signal propagation through those different uh, layers of the atmosphere. Uh, I had to learn about separate um, satellite missions um, that I can't go into. 
but then you have geostationary, you have uh, different types of orbits that you follow. Um, I mean, there, there's tons of information out there. What's really cool is there's a site that, that will tell you when the ISS uh, space station is crossing your uh, zip code. And they have a really uh, cool thing where they transmit images from the space station down to earth on amateur radio frequencies. So with uh, slow scan TV, you can grab those images through your radio and basically decode them to see what they're, they're looking at or different pictures from the space station and, and you know, the crew on board. Uh, but again, like this stuff has been around forever and there's so much information that is around you 24 seven that is just floating in the air um, that is there to grab and to like decode and, and, and look at different patterns. So ethernet is great. I love pen testing. I love breaking, well, I love pen testing computers and networks. <laughs> I shouldn't say breaking in, um, but I, I do love that stuff. I love lock picking. I love uh, jamming, all that stuff. Uh, but there's so much around you that, that with a simple antenna and a USB, you can collect and replay and replay attacks. So with, you know, IP replay attacks are great, but with RF, they're unstoppable. Like there's nothing you can do to stop me from getting into your car. If I replay your key fob, um, and there's, there's a really cool kid in the UK named Vincent Cook. Uh, he, I ran into him at Hack the Police in London, in Vauxhall, and me and Cham went, and there was this 16-year-old kid that was by himself. Um, we had to break into teams, and we had to come up with a project and present it, you know, in front of the whole uh, conference. And he and I and Cham did a um, anti-drone application where we used a uh, 2.4 gigahertz drone and brought it down with MDK3 um, with a simple USB antenna. Uh, great kid. And what's funny is I had a call last week with a group that has a platform called Jenny. So what Jenny does is it goes out to the internet and it categorizes all the cybersecurity companies uh, that it can find and grabs the white papers, grabs videos. So it's basically like a Yelp for cybersecurity. So instead of saying like, oh, you know, I need a pen test this week, who do I call? You can log into Jenny and do a search for that and it'll bring up all the best ones. Um, so Tanesh, uh, which is part of that group, that engineer Jenny um, is also working with Vincent on some of his companies. Uh, I've never met a kid at 16 years old that was so sharp. Um, we kind of like adopted him um, as like a, as, as a son because he was so awesome. And his dad was so supportive. Like I didn't have that as a kid. Like my dad wasn't supportive, um, but his family is like really pushing him to go forward. Uh, and he has like, potential that I can't even explain. Like the UK government should be afraid of this kid. We took him into the Met Police. I set up a meeting with the Met Police and with the director of cybersecurity unit over there. 
And uh, we talked about the anti-drone technology, the Gatwick Airport issues. Um, and he's just, he's a, he's a go-getter, uh, which is one thing that I think that most of our industry lacks is that entrepreneurial spirit and um, the pure raw talent. Uh, a lot of people are book-driven, um, people who learned how to hack a computer through a book or through an online course. Um, but Vincent was one of the special ones that I was able to talk to and immediately he got it. Um, Cham is another one. So I, I've, I've been helping Cham learn the ropes and, and she's like really super sharp as well. Um, let me meet Michael made his own drone and I'm not sure what that is. So Simon, um, drone technology is really great. Uh, the, well, you can secure the SSH, but the problem with SSH is that that drone either, depending on the manufacturer and the model, it has a GPS function. Um, so like Cham's brother has a, a drone, the DJI Maverick, who has a GPS module built into it. So you can tell it to fly home and it will actually fly back to where it lifted from based on the GPS coordinates. Uh, but all of those drones use a certain level of RF, use a certain level of GPS, um, which, I mean, it can be great, but there's ways around it. Um, and there's ways to knock it down. Like literally we, we ran our application against a drone at Hack, Hack the Police and this other group um, was working on like facial, facial recognition and, and stuff like that. And so they were using a drone to collect images to do the facial recognition. Well, we had developed the app to disable that drone and they were willing to let us try it out. And so I talked about this on the last podcast, but basically what happens is when you send a drone an instruction and I hit it with my application, all it remembers is that last instruction and that communication is dropped at that point. So when we did the, the demo, that drone literally hung in the air because it had nobody to give it instruction and the guy lost complete control of the drone. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. Um, we're talking, talking with, trust me. Um, Simon, I will definitely check that out. So Simon has a, a has an interesting background as well. Um, he has worked with some of the people that um, I started with, I guess, with uh, Anonymous. Uh, he knows some some guys that I know here as well with like Sub7. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's pretty vocal. Um, and I, I enjoy that. The more questions I get and the more like challenges, bring it on. Let's talk. Uh, I'm so open to conversation. Oh yeah. So it's that there's, there's multiple aspects of bringing that drone down. So yeah. So, so, so the drones that were inflicting pain upon Gatwick were the high level, like commercial drones, like really high level that run off a of GPS. Um, not so much like 2.4 gigahertz because most of your like hobbyist drones have an access point built on board. 
um, and those are easy to defeat with MDK, MDK3. But with RF jammers and a Yagi antenna, like you can totally set those yeah. down. You gotta, you gotta sever the, you gotta sever the RF. Yeah. And, and that is where drones, uh, I'm gonna guess there's a huge percent of them that don't, they don't have a, a, a call home or a flyback frequency right. for a, a, a module. Um, I know a guy in Israel that makes those and he builds those in his drones. A lot of them don't. So when they lose that signal. Yeah, they just fall. Or they, they use the last command it was sent to yeah. them. But the problem with, with like RF and, and drones is the fact that you're limited to um, distance, right? Yes. yes. So Gatwick has sensors put up all around the airport yeah. that look at altitude mm-hmm. and frequency. Right. And right. they'll send that, that disconnect yeah. or that jam. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what's funny is with 2.4 gigahertz, if you sit outside a parking lot, Gatwood couldn't stop a hobbyist drone from getting into the airstrip yeah. because they had no 2.4. That they can, they can fly yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, pretty this, cool. For, for every, every engineered and elegant, elegant solution, solution there's, there's brute force, force ignorance, and another, another avenue, avenue of attack that can just, just slide in there. there. So, so Sam had yeah. a... a interesting question he wanted me to he wanted to know if i had to go at the crypto statue at fbi headquarters actually sam is not at the fbi headquarters it's at the cia headquarters in langley um everybody's had to go at it nobody has figured it out um there's a group called cicada and i don't know if you guys have heard of cicada um, they were posting crypto puzzles all over the U.S. Um, at one point, they thought it was a recruitment uh, prop for the U.S. Navy for cryptology. Other people thought it was NSA or CIA. Um, but the crypto statue at the CIA uh, headquarters in Langley um, is public, and you can go in and check it out. But I don't know anybody who's even come close to deciphering that. And Cicada is really cool. If you go and look at Cicada, um, they nobody's been able to decipher those either. Uh, if it was the U.S. Navy trying to recruit cryptologists, they failed horribly. Um, if it was CIA, mm, depends. Uh, really CIA. So a little bit more about my background. Uh, I worked for a company called iSight Partners. And my ex-boss was a field officer in the Morocco office from the CIA. Um, So I got to be exposed and did some stuff with CIA. At one point, uh, we had to have really high-level clearances and polygraphs and crazy stuff. Uh, There's a long story that goes with iSight Partners, uh, and there's a reason why I didn't stay with them. but we won't dive into that. Uh, let's see. So, Sam, if you figure out the CIA encryption on that statue, I personally will pay you. Uh, Michael claims he can intercept the Russians. He is a guy who loves SDR. Absolutely. So, the file that I just posted previously was from Russia. Um, and it was a number station in Russia and you don't need SDR to record it. 
uh, I actually used the online wideband radio from the Netherlands to collect that data. Sam, have a good one. Thanks for logging in. Um, he worked for Hacker House. He's part of Null Security. So again, like you don't necessarily have to have SDR to record signals out of Russia. Um, there are all kinds of different online radios you can access, uh, whether it be Germany, Poland, or somewhere close to Eastern Bloc that do that live, and you can just log into it. There are other spots around the world where they... Oh, there's, there's tons of... So the same signal you hear in Russia, you can probably log into, I don't know, parts of Australia and pick up that... If you, have if you have an Argentinian, Argentinian grandfather, grandfather who has, has German, German descendants, descendants, yeah, you can do it there too. Just the same. So <laughs> yeah, that brings up another topic. So if you look at um, post-World War II in South America, there are large concentrations of German heritage in that area. There's actually a boys' school that um, has Nazi symbols all over it. Uh, so after World War II, a lot of the Nazis escaped, went to South America, um, and the way they communicated was shortwave radio. Um, and that's been around forever, and it's never going anywhere. So those repeaters, um, Simon, are also on the internet. Um, it depends on what frequency you're looking at. Uh, it depends on location, but... I would be hard pressed if you gave me a country, I would be hard pressed to say that I couldn't find a repeater online from that country. So you don't necessarily have to build an antenna and a shack like we're going to, you can do it from the internet. Um, and that's why I wanted to put together this podcast because grabbing these, these, the spy communication, this intelligence communication can be done from your living room with a laptop. You don't need anything like spectacular to do it. Um, it's really simple. And we just wanted to give you guys the tools so that, that you could do it yourself and get interested in RF. Because really, I mean, IP is great, but when you're looking at covert channels, IP is not really that safe. Uh, there's other methods of communication that are much better. Yeah, yeah that kind of goes back to what I was saying. saying. Um, if, if you basically, basically anything you can, can think, think of, of conceptualize or google really it's out there um there's so many guys willing to share their knowledge and there's so many guys out there that have been doing this longer and are so deep into it that they don't care they're just going to be like hey man yeah hey here's what i did so, so it's, it's great. great. It's a, it's a very, 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 very liberal, liberal um, no, 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 sorry, sorry, not liberal. I don't mean to use that in that sense. sense. Um, it's, it's a very free, free medium. medium. Everybody is very willing and eager to exchange knowledge. knowledge. So, so it's a good information, good information share. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good uh, test, test bed for, for any idea, idea you have. have. So, yeah, yeah, man. Um, Mike, Mike and I are constantly bouncing things off of each other and then i'm like oh i read this article and he's like oh man i just did this and so it's it's back and forth all day long it's great and there are so many other guys out there that are already doing it they already have their shack set up they may have an sdr they may have whatever and you can piggyback off of that so you don't have to invest much 
up front. I mean, I mean we, we did it because we were like, we want to do this, 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 and this. We had set goals. But a lot, a lot of what we're doing, we could have done without even spending a dime. All we had to do is Google and find those resources because those resources are everywhere. So, yeah, it's a... It's, it's, it's limited only by, by your curiosity and your drive. That's it. So another thing I wanted to go over too real quick was, so there's a, a messaging system called M3 in the military. Um, it used to be used over telegraph. It used to be used over Morse code. Um, but it's now like a, a connected system through DISA on Cipranet. Uh, Cipper, for those of you who aren't military, Cipper is a secret network. Uh, Nipper is like the more general network, and you have the green, the green yeah, level. So, well, so there's Cipper is secret, mm -hmm. like like kind of super secret. Nipper is the uh, it's it's classified, but it's not general knowledge. And then there's right. unclass. So um, the very very. So there's someone on this podcast as well that um, their significant other was a Navy SEAL. So um, I did SWIC, which for those of you who don't know what SWIC is, SWIC is Special Warfare Combat Crew. And we provided comms and insertion and extraction for the different teams. Um, and one thing that, that we did with the military uh, that's pretty common practice is you shut down a grid when you enter into a country, uh, whether it be by carbon fiber ribbon or through signal jamming. Um, there's, there's all sorts of methods that we use for killing the, the infrastructure. Um, so I won't say who that, that person is uh, for anonymity, but um, I'm sure I've crossed paths with their significant other at one point. Um, so let's go over like uh, the different structures for intelligence gathering. So you have imagery analysis, you have RF, you have radio, you have human, you have OSINT. SIGINT, human, um, ELINT, OSINT, and, uh, and ELINT. So ELINT is electronic intelligence, and that's um, some of the cool stuff. SIGINT is more like identifying signals. HUMIN is human intelligence. OSINT is open source intelligence, which a lot of pen testers still do, um, which I hope you guys are good at. Um, and I mean, there's various forms of intelligence. Um, this podcast, we're focusing specifically on signal intelligence kind of electronic intelligence as well, but more focused towards signal. Where do I find people like you guys? Everyone I talk to is complete spook, keeping things under lock and key. So Noel, I used to be that spook who kept things under lock and key until I left the military and left the government. Um, was really disenfranchised with the way that we were handling intelligence and the way that we were falsifying intelligence. Um, the cloak and dagger had gotten too much dagger instead of cloak. Uh, but there's plenty of us out there. Um, we're actually thinking about doing another podcast for those type of people who are ex-military that um, 
are kind of in the same situation I am where the government has basically made life so difficult for you that you become what I call a zero. You're um, disenfranchised, excommunicated, kind of, yeah, yeah that, that whole stigma, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I was a Patriot at one point. I, I served twice in the military, both honorable discharges, um, medals, security clearances, TSSCI. Uh, the problem was, was when I got out and spoke for myself, they didn't like it. Uh, and that's how Anonymous was born. Um, well, to, to, to that end, I would say you're still a patriot. You're not, not, not a patriot. Um, it's, yeah. I don't a nuanced thing because you still believe in what you set out to do. It's just that what you set out to do is different, different than, than what the people, people that you were backing, backing yeah. wanted. wanted to do. So there's, yeah, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're still, still the same, same guy. guy. To put it to put in shorthand, shorthand, the election. Yeah. All, that's, that's all. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> so, I mean, in the U.S., I, I don't know if you guys in the U.K. have followed uh, the progression for politics in the U.S., but it's become a freight train on high speed, full speed ahead, straight to hell. Uh, and I would argue that it's a dumpster fire. Yeah, that too. Downhill in San Francisco with nothing to stop it. Yeah, that too. Uh, we had um, Trump kicked out the Chinese uh, consulate in Houston uh, before I went back to the States, before I came back to the States. Um, and before they left, they started a bonfire in their courtyard of the consulate burning intelligence documents uh, that they were collecting at the medical center regarding vaccinations and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so when you look at the whole entire, like the bigger picture uh, and the intelligence efforts around the globe, um, we struggle. Uh, the U.S. struggles when it comes to that. Uh, you know, you look at some of the Joint Chiefs, uh, some of the NSA, some of the FBI. Um, we've really struggled as a country to maintain that that unbiased approach to intelligence. Um, and that's kind of what I was expecting when I went into my intelligence career was I was expecting to walk in, have a target, and collect and have that intelligence analyzed and appropriated, but that's not always what happens. Like when I view satellite imagery from country X and see flatbed semis leaving a country with what could be weapons of mass destruction and them telling me, well, that's not really important. The fact is there's no WMDs in that country. Um, that's kind of discerning. Uh, so, after my second enlistment, I left, uh, became a contractor at the U.S. Joint Forces Command in the CND cell. Um, and some of this will be go like Kaspersky is going to be doing a um, interview, a documentary on my journey through, you know, my career, where I'm at now. And that'll be covered. Uh, a friend of mine on the West Coast, Nick Nam, uh, ex-Marine signal intelligence guy, super smart. Um, saved my life in Baltimore. Uh, he'll be talking about that as well. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I wasn't, I was involved in Operation Titan Rain, 
which was an Asian attack against government and military installations, uh, denial of service, uh, exfiltrating data. Um, I actually got an award from USJFCOM for stopping a DNS attack uh, that was part of Operation Titan Rain. Um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on at the government level that a lot of people don't know. Uh, by the way, Titan Rain was declassified, so you can look that up on Wikipedia. I'm not disclosing any classified information. Um, so yeah, that's that. Uh, any other questions? You guys can unmute and talk and ask me questions. Open up your video unless you're afraid to disclose your identity. Um, it's up to you. But I do this podcast for you guys, for the interaction. Um, oh, by the way, this podcast is being recorded uh, so that we can uh, post it online. I have a lot of inquiries about um, recordings of this, this podcast, specifically this podcast. Uh, so I, I just wanted to make sure that you guys knew that. Uh, it'll be posted probably on YouTube and there'll be links on Twitter and LinkedIn. Probably should have said that like really at the beginning. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I know. But I mean, <laughs> I, saw it, the, I saw the button. I saw yeah. The button. I mean, it, it's being recorded locally. If anybody has any problems with, with it being posted, <laughs> let me know. I have no problems with not, not posting it. Um, but I had such a, a positive feedback from this podcast uh, that I wanted to make it available for people who couldn't make it. Well, and good night. I have to go and have dinner. Hubby is making dinner, but this was eye-opening and scary. And thank you. See so, you next time. So, Vicky, Vicky, before yeah. you go, um, the spy series and the covert channel series. Do you would would that be something you'd be interested in seeing more of? or do you want me to cover different topics? Um, the spy series is interesting. I mean, I know it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years, but Absolutely. what you know now, whoa, I'm scared. <laughs> I'll, I'll expand on it. Um, I think the next podcast we'll do will be close to Christmas and it, I'll dive into a specific piece of spy gear um, if you guys want to know about any type of technology, like spy technology, please email me and I will more than likely I've, I've played with it or I have it and we'll dive into it and I'll teach you how to use it. Cool. Thanks. See you next time. Absolutely. Thanks, Vicki. Bye. Frenchie. So what else we got? Who else is uh, still up and, and ready to converse? Um, I know that Kristen has been posting questions. Uh, Kristen, do you have anything else for the podcast that you want to talk about or want me to explain? I don't know if she's still here or not. Let me check. I don't see her. No? Nope. Oh, yeah, she is. Yep, she's there. Okay. Oh, she's eating dinner. Um, so what else to talk about? Uh, oh, there's another really cool device that I want to talk about. It's not spy gear, but it's a lot of fun and you can buy it online. It's a kit and it builds like 
literally it's a board about that big with uh, a toggle button and when you program it so it's got like 400 uh, types of television sets built into this list right for universal codes so you build this this board it's like 10 bucks you can walk into like any sports bar and turn off all the tvs oh, it's fantastic dude we need to do that because i hate watching golf yeah yeah so so you can buy it i, I can't remember what website it's on i'll, I'll post it on linkedin when i find it but I built one a couple of years ago and walked into a company called Fry's. Um, for those of you who live in the States, it's a big electronics uh, department. And um, so they have like millions of TV sets and I had it in my pocket. It literally fits in your pocket with one AA battery and or two AA batteries. And you can hit the toggle switch and it'll, it'll alternate through the, through the codes until it finds the right one to connect to the TVs and shut them off. And so I was standing there with a kid and we're, we're looking at these TVs and, and I hit the button in my pocket and all the shit went off and fries about went maniacal. Like they couldn't understand what was going on. <laughs> um, some other really cool equipment too is like I talked talked about before was a USB rubber ducky. Um, I made a one line code to execute PowerShell to give me a reverse shell remotely on the internet to a domain. And so we went into fries and we plugged it into every laptop because they didn't have USB disabled. And when I got home, I had like 50 shells for fries. Um, well, theoretically I had 50 shells. I, I knew somebody who did that, who got 50 shells from fries. And there was a guy, there was a guy. Yeah. One guy. Um, but it was really cool. So, yeah, Kim, I, I will uh, I will give you the link to that um, device. It takes some soldering. I was like, I think there's like three or four diodes you have to solder on, and then the switch, the toggle switch, uh, and a battery pack. So, what else? What else you guys got? Let's interact. Any thoughts or stories on physical pen testing? Justice. So, physical means is one of my specialties as well, as far as like RF and VoIP, covert channels. Um, lock picking, uh, there's tons of lock picking sets you can get. Um, RFID tags, uh, there's all kinds of exploit kits for RFID, especially on Cali. Um, it depends on what level of physical pen testing you wanna do. So.